The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Today, I have Eileen Campbell joining me. She is the co-founder and board chair for Reed Campbell Group. She's also an amazing woman with a tremendous career history. So welcome, Eileen. Thanks so much, Seema. Nice to be with you. Eileen, I just read your bio and I'm completely in awe of what you have accomplished through your career thus far. That's sweet. You know, as I've mentioned to you in the past, you know, I've had a lot of fun along the way. It's been an industry that's been really good to me. Yeah. I would imagine that you probably have built such a robust network of friends and colleagues and globally, just given your global role at Kantar. Yeah, no, it's really been great. You know, I love travel and I love learning about other cultures and meeting people. And it's, it's such a treat from my, my former role that I think there's probably not a major city in the world that I could go to, that there wouldn't be somebody that I felt like, you know, I could sit down and have dinner with, with a friend. Yep. And in fact, on my travels, I often do that. That's fantastic. If you don't mind, just share a little bit of your history with our listeners, kind of the elevator pitch in terms of you know, how you got started and, and what led you to this point. So I started in the industry really young. I was still in university and, um, you know, I was I was the proverbial starving student and I got a role at a company called NFO. At the time, it was called National Family Opinion that I worked. I worked full time through my last couple of years of university there. And that was a place full of really incredibly talented people and particularly some incredibly talented women at a time when, you know, there weren't a lot of women in senior roles in, in the industry. And they were, you know, an amazing group of, of mentors and, and kind of lifelong friends. In fact, I think we've got some mutual friends from that group, yeah. like Mary Jo Fisher yeah. and Brenda Holloman and a number of people who just real leaders in kind of the early days of the industry. And so I worked there for a long time, 17 years. I had the opportunity to kind of keep reinventing my career without having to change companies, which was lovely. You know, I started out doing, you know, project coordination, kind of project manager type work, moved into dealing directly with clients, then leading client relationships. And then when I was, I think I was, I was all of 26, I convinced my boss to let me move to Minneapolis and open up an office. Wow. And that was my first kind of P&L, a place to turn on the lights. Yep as I like to say. And that was a really transformative step in my career because I tell people all the time, when you have someplace that you kind of turn on the lights where the success of the, of the team depends on you, you know, being committed and dedicated, that's a real turning point, I think, in many people's careers. It certainly was for mine. And so I did that for a few years. And then I, then I went to work for a Canadian company called Angus Reed Group. And the Reed family are my partners in my new venture. And that was great because that was my first experience with a startup. I did their U.S. startup. So going from a big established company 
to doing a startup was also a big transformation. Then I was recruited by WPP to run Millward Brown in North America okay. and did that for a few years and then got promoted into the, the global CEO role. And again, another amazing experience. I think Millward Brown is one of the, uh, you know, it's now blended in with all of Kantar, but at the time it was one of the, the few true, I'd say, brands in the insights industry in that it did very specific things and it was famous for doing brand and communications work. Right. And so that was just an amazing run and, and uh, an incredibly successful company and work that I'm, I'm really proud of. And then, you know, I semi-retired and have been kicking around. I was the CMO of IMAX for four years. And then we just did the startup of Reed Campbell Group about a year ago. Very cool. Yeah, I remember we were talking that IntelliQuest was one of the first companies that I started out in the industry, and that was one of the companies that you integrated through acquisition when you were CEO of North America. Yeah, it was. In fact, that deal had been done right before I started. Okay. And it was one of those gifts that you go, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. The deal was done, but the tech bubble burst almost immediately <laughs> after. So, But it still turned out to be a great acquisition because it, it established us as having a, a good tech practice, which to this day is the fastest growing sector for, um, for Kantar. That's exciting. So what really motivated you to kind of, because it sounds like you continue to evolve and push yourself and continue to learn. How did you stay motivated? You know, it's funny. I, I feel like the only job I was really rotten at was being retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine when you say you're semi-retired or retired. I don't think this is what the classic retirement definition is. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, and, and because I started in the business young, I, I sort of stepped down from my bigger jobs. Right. You know, relatively young too. So I think as much as anything, I'm driven by a, you know, sort of a restless spirit. Okay. You know, I'm not good at being idle. Mm -hmm. And I've always found this industry endlessly fascinating, right? When young people come into it, I say, you know, you will never again in your life have an excuse to be bored. Right. You know, we spend all day, every day trying to understand what motivates people and trying to solve problems for businesses. And particularly on the agency side, that is endlessly fascinating, right? You can work on a packaged goods account on Monday and an automotive account on Tuesday and a tech account on Wednesday. And I think if you're intellectually curious, it's a completely gratifying way to make a living. I completely agree. And I do think that intellectual curiosity outweighs a lot of different things, like in terms of I might stay a little longer at work because I just want to know the answer to this question. Exactly. Right? It's not about exactly. clocking in or clocking out, but it's just your own personal gratification of finding out what the answer is. Exactly. I mean, it's so easy to kind of just lose yourself in solving a problem. Right. So couldn't agree with you more. So what are you doing now? What, what does Reed Campbell Group do? And, and tell us a little bit more about that. So Reed Campbell Group's a really, a really exciting startup. We are a holding company. We own two companies right now. One is called Rival Technologies. Okay. And the other is called Reach3 Insights. And Rival is a, um, an insights tech company. So it's a, it's a platform to bring voice, video, and chat to the insights world. Okay. It's an enterprise grade platform. And then Reach3 
is our full service consulting business that actually uses Rivals technology as the backbone of their operations. So one is very tech focused and the other one's leveraging the tech to deliver insights. Exactly. And Rival is a SaaS business. So there'll be clients who will use it on a DIY basis. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've found whenever you're introducing new technology to our industry, which is the one thing I would say is a bit challenging is our industry is inherently sort of conservative. Yes. So when you're introducing new tech to the industry, doing it through skilled consultants who can kind of teach you how to drive mm-hmm. is a great way to integrate the tech. So the tech will have a life of its own as a pure SaaS platform, but it will also be introduced to clients through this amazing group of consultants that we've got. I like that go-to-market strategy. It helps the clients kind of get comfortable and and slowly adopt and, and see the benefits of the technology. Exactly. The whole business, the whole enterprise is born out of some frustration I've had and my partner, Andrew Reed, has, has had over the years that, you know, as brands have evolved, what we hear people saying all the time is that consumers want authenticity mm-hmm. in brands. They want to have real conversations with brands. And yet in the insights world, we continue to do these very stilted, the way we talk to consumers is not the way anybody would ever talk to a typical consumer. Right. And, you know, I say, you never go home and say to your, to your spouse, you know, honey, on a scale of one to 10, where one is you don't love me at all, and 10 <laughs> is you, you know, we, we just don't talk like right. that. And so what we're trying to do is bring the authenticity of chat with the rigor of research. Okay. So our platform uses, we use other people's software. Nobody, nobody downloads an app. It's using right. Facebook Messenger or, or just SMS on your phone or WeChat to carry on real conversations with consumers, but with, with the, at scale and with the structure of a typical survey. So is it feeding one question at a time and getting responses back from the consumer? Tell us a little bit of that experience for the consumer. So for the consumer, it's sort of like, it's much more conversational. So how we design the inquiry is really important and really audience specific. You know, we use lots of emojis. We use lots of real language. We try and make sure whoever crafted the chat knows the target audience. You know, I wouldn't try and craft a chat to a 17-year-old. And the kids right out of school wouldn't try and craft a chat to a 50-year-old. So, so it's very conversational and it does serve up questions sort of one at a time, but interspersed with just dialogue. And, and so it feels much more like natural language. It also has the benefit of, because we're doing it all online, but not using email, in real time, transcribing and translating everything. So it works, you know, it's amazing for international stuff. What we found is most compelling about it is people really do engage differently than with a traditional survey. So on average, in a traditional survey, in an open-ended question, you get about 20 words from somebody. In ours, you get about 127. Wow. And you can do your open ends in straight audio. So you can hear people's voice. If you're the client, you can hear the voices and the inflection or on video where you can actually see the people. So that's the basic premise. And then of course, you know, it's got all kinds of front end capabilities to design the tools and back end capabilities to analyze the data. But the kind of the underlying idea is 
it's going to feel more like you're having a conversation. Very interesting. And then, so do you have to go out and recruit people to join the platform and that's how you get the consumers? How does that work? We know our roots are, Andrew was the founder of Vision Critical and Vision Critical is probably the largest purveyor of customer communities. And so we're starting to do some communities where we recruit, whether it's from a loyalty program or from somebody's social media following. So we're doing a lot of our sampling via building communities. Okay. We're also doing a lot where we're basically using the tools that our clients use where we're doing a media buy to try and attract various kinds of consumers rather than going to sort of the panels. You know, we do use the panels some, but we're trying to bring in new voices. And that's the other big solution or big problem we were trying to solve for is how do we get young people Mm -hmm. back into engaging in research. And I don't know how old your kids are, but like nobody, kids aren't using emails. Even for us, you know, nobody ever said, oh gee, I'm delighted to get another email. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's so so true. So we're using a variety of ways to get people. We've done some really cool stuff with social media influencers where we can actually serve the chat inside of a social media platform like Instagram. So for example, we did something for the game Fortnite where we had an influencer put the chat inside of their story. And, you know, it's clear that it's a promoted, you know, we're, we're not trying to deceive anybody. Trick people, right. Exactly. But if you just swiped up into his story, it opened the chat. So the person never left the environment of Instagram. And as soon as they were done with the chat, they were back into their normal stream. But we got something like... I want to say 1,200 completed interviews in a couple of hours. And then we, we invite those people to be part of a community and we can go back to them with additional conversations. So that entire research program was like eight different conversations with people who, who came uh, via a social media influencer. And they, you know, we were looking for enthusiasts about the game. So it was right. an appropriate choice Place to go. Exactly. Right. And the influencer, obviously you constructed some agreement with the influencer to kind of put this into their social media feed. Right. You know, we compensated the influencer and we were a fan of using sort of mid to micro influencers. Like we don't want the really big influencers because, you know, we think they're sort of brands in their own right. So, you know, in, in Fortnite, there's a guy named Ninja that's got, I don't know, some ridiculous number of followers. <laughs> we didn't want somebody that big. We wanted somebody who we thought, you know, the fans were interested, but not quite as evangelical. Okay. So there's an art even in using social media to make sure that you're serving the objectives of the research. That makes sense. I really like the approach. It sounds very interesting. And, and it does sound like you're pulling in new people into the research and insight space by using these non-traditional approaches. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's really exciting to see, for me to see millennials and Gen Z consumers actually participating in research again. That's fantastic. So when you think about the next horizon for you, what are the things that you want to continue to do or that you haven't done yet? Well, there are a couple of things that are important to me. One is I've always, and you know, people who've followed my speaking or writing over the years, I've always hated sort of the self-flagellation of the insights industry, you know, sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of the business world, right? And I think that is just crazy, right? What we do contributes so much to the success of our clients' organizations. So particularly for our clients, we want to make them stars within their own organization. I love that. And so we're working really hard on deliverables that are cool, 
and that feel modern and that aren't PowerPoint presentations and that have the ability, if the client wants them to, to go viral within their own organization. So think shareable, mobile-based reports that are more like a blog kind of approach. Think short-form one to three minute videos that are shareable and, you know, the kind of thing that you could imagine the CEO would take the time. And it's digestible. Totally digestible and looks more modern and more cool. So I think my kind of continuing crusade to help the insights industry and the people who choose it get the recognition they deserve. And feel proud. And feel really proud, exactly. You know, I used to say all the time that I would love to see the day where at the CEO's right hand is his or her CFO, and at the left hand is the person who's closest to their customers. I love that. And as a CEO, you know, one of the things I worried about all the time is, are we hearing the voice of our customer? Mm -hmm. And so, so I think that's a real opportunity. And then, of course, I think there are all kinds of opportunities around how we can make data work harder. So whether that is combining data from multiple sources, which I think everybody's talking about and starting to do, or whether it's the opportunities that artificial intelligence offers. I could see the evolution of our chat lab product evolving with AI so that the interface is smart enough to decide to ask you different questions based on what you say. Mm -hmm. And I also think artificial intelligence is an opportunity for the insights industry to assume some leadership because the truth is we've been doing basic forms of artificial intelligence from the beginning of the industry, right? I mean, a skip pattern is, you know, machine learning. If you say this, then go here. Right. Exactly. So I think we've got an opportunity to make real use of these new tools in our industry. I completely agree with you. And I love your passion for advocating for our industry and, and not necessarily feeling, I don't know, there's always, there's despair many times about, oh no, the industry's shrinking. This other industry is going to take over. But the reality is, is there's opportunities for us to embrace even a bigger piece of the pie given the skills that exist in the industry. Totally. And, and I think there is a real rise of, I call it the numerate CMO, yep. where marketing is, you know, you've got to be able to hold your own with the CFO yes. as a chief marketing officer and understanding data and understanding numbers is super important. And your insights team are absolutely key to that. I agree. And also, you know, I think that view also allows us to bring a younger generation into the industry instead of saying everybody's going to be a data scientist, which they might, but that's also part of our industry. It's not that that sits separately. Right, exactly. And in fact, I think what we'll see is sort of data science light will get integrated into a lot of what we do. And then that will allow our data scientists to then keep elevating to the bigger, more gnarly problems. And in fact, you know, in my mind, that's how it should work, right? You solve a problem with great data science, you systematize that then so that 10 great data scientists can make Mm -hmm. 100 good researchers articulate in data science, and then they move on to the next bigger problem. Yep. It's interesting, the trend, I mean, in the CMO suite where, you know, many years ago, not not that many, but where marketing and tech had to really partner 
right? To right. be digital and to kind of transform marketing practices. And now it almost feels like there's another shift that has to occur. And that is marketing slash data have to work more closely together. Totally. To achieve objectives. Agree completely. And, and you know, and tech leadership is really important to that, right? I yes. think, you know, sort of the axis of the CMO and the CTO or the CIO, whatever yes. a company chooses to call it, is really important. In fact, I just read something that said, for most chief technology officers, they will spend more on MarTech mm-hmm. in 2019 than on any other class of technology. And I could see that. Which is extraordinary. Yeah, right? absolutely. Eileen, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Always nice to catch up. Same. And let's continue to keep in touch. Sounds good to see you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.